Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist recommended. This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums, as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. It's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact... Mm. They have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare. If you are a wine lover like myself and you got to have it for your bachelor reviewing parties, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I found the personalized, the most personalized wine club that has amazing wines and exclusive perks called First Leaf. As a First Leaf member, you get to try new wines and I'm guaranteed to enjoy them because they got to know my unique preferences. I answered a few questions on their website, this quiz about the flavors you like, how often you drink wine, Monday nights, if you prefer red, white, or rosé. And based on these, it gives you this amazing selection of wines tailored just for you. And when you rate those wines, it gets even more tailored, a la, you know, uh, Netflix. Just play into the algorithm. My algorithm got me both rosé and white wine, my Mm. favorites, and they were so delicious, and I've gotten to enjoy them with many of my my friends. Look, being part of the First Leaf Wine Club also has perks. As a member, you get access to their incredibly helpful wine concierge. So if you want uh, wine pairing advice or you want to talk about the wines in your box, you can always talk to one of their experts. Plus, you get member-exclusive pricing. What's in the box? On every order. Join 
the club today and discover new wines you'll love with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash roses to get your first box. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F.com slash roses. Tryfirstleaf.com slash roses. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. This is the Game of Roses. Ready? Go. Okay, so we just got a vodka sauce in, Sundays with Joe. I already put it in the pan. We're gonna try it. Now this is our recipe. We sent it in like three times. It hasn't been perfect yet. Hopefully it is now. I didn't doctor it. I didn't put anything else on it. Uh, you got all this, right? How do I look? Do I look okay? You look stunning, baby. Beautiful? Amazing, just Great. so handsome. I really like it. I think it's really good. Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues, and it's Friday, which usually means this week at Bachelor Nation. Gotta get down on <laughs> Yes. Yes, it does. But why doesn't it mean that today, Clues? Should we tell them? Because we have an interview prepared that is over an hour long with a fascinating guest who has a wide breadth of knowledge about reality television, pop culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we can't wait to present this interview to you for our Friday episode. One of the widest breasts ever. You, I mean, you, what you guys are going to listen to is Clues Finding a New Best Friend. Let's be real. <laughs> Something like and that. A new Bestie for Clues. Maybe that'll be the title of this episode. Maybe. A New Bestie for Clues. Well, maybe we'll call it that. Maybe we won't. But we hope that you guys enjoy this, this uh, interview. We certainly did. And now we are proud to present it. Welcome to the pit. And now we would like to welcome to the pit pop culture expert, host of Reality Life with Kate Casey podcast, Kate Casey. Hi, how are you? Welcome. Hi, thank you for joining us. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. We already spoke yesterday and my episode's going to come out tomorrow and I'm so excited about it. Great episode. Uh, there was so much to cover. So much. And I was very excited to cover so much more on our <laughs> podcast. I'm glad we're doing the swap this week. Yeah. Nothing better than a good podcast swap. <laughs> I always say that. <laughs> what did I call you guys? My podrad, podrad in arms. Podrads yeah, in arms. exactly. <laughs> all of us in this, this strange <laughs> tier of podcasts where we're covering reality TV and The Bachelor yeah. and all this kind of stuff. I, I feel like there is this growing momentum. There are more and more of us doing this at a high level. So it's always fantastic to be able to talk to somebody else who's doing it. You have, Kate, right now, 58,000 followers on Instagram. Do you know where that puts you on the overall chart of Bachelor players, where you would rank? Oh my God, it'd be so low, right? Because the JoJo Fletcher is like, what, 2 million or something? You are number 186 on 186. the big board. Okay. Between not bad. John Blanc from Bachelorette season 14. Okay. And Damar Jackson Ooh. from oh Bachelorette season 16. I don't know who those people are, and that, therefore <laughs> that's an issue. You don't know 
Yeah. Jean Blanc, the colonisor? Um, no, maybe. Was he in Tasha's season? Uh, season 14. Oh, forgot it. No way. There were a couple there were a couple seasons I dipped out. Emily Maynard, uh, Juan Pablo, um, Ben Flojnik. I didn't watch those. But I I I knew what was going on, but I didn't like sit down and watch every season. I started with season one and then I dipped out. Jason Mesnick, when it was suggested in Us Weekly that he was not actually a real estate agent, but selling cell phones at a mall kiosk, whether or not that's true, I read it and I just thought, I don't know what's going on with this show. So I dipped out for a second, (laughs) but then I came back. And I think it was because there was like a lull in other shows for a hot minute. I was like, yeah. This is, there's enough fodder right here. So maybe I'll I'll come back. Well, you definitely have to watch season 16. That's Ben Flanick. That ha- Courtney Robertson wins that season. Spoiler alert. She was a villain the entire season, openly talking about gameplay and how she's trying to fuck over the other players in her ITMs. <laughs> yeah. And then she successfully did it. She just destroyed them all. It was really a unique season. I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again. Oh, but he was... Uh, how do I say this kindly? He... Seemed to me like somebody who was surprised when they said, do you want to be the bachelor? Like he was like, wait, what? Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Like I, he, he seems like somebody that is like a carpet salesman in <laughs> Albuquerque and somehow ended up on TV. So we now know that you think people who sell carpets and cell phones are the worst kind of people. <laughs> well, it just they're not like people that you would assume would be like television stars, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. They're like too normal. That's the thing. I'm like, if you're too normal, do you have a place on a show like this? I don't know if you do. They both had huge heartbreak edits, though. Yeah. Oh. Like Ben Flynn, Ben Flynn got down on his knee to propose and was rejected mid proposal. But then I remember reading that like he went on a date with Chris Jenner and I thought he's living his best life. Like he doesn't need this stupid show. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. Uh-huh. They went on like they went on like two or three dates and then he appeared on an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians because they flew to the vineyard where he worked. Listen, oh. if you're on a text basis with Chris Jenner, who's a huge Bachelor fan, you're fine, man. You're fine. You've done something right. Yeah, you've done something right. He went from carpet sales to living with American royalty. Well, let's back up. Let's back up a little bit. Where, Kate, where did you grow up? I'm from suburban Philadelphia, a town called Westchester. I went to boarding school in Hershey, Pennsylvania at a school called the Milton Hershey School, which is a school created by Milton Hershey for underprivileged children. You have to live below the poverty line and have come from like a single parent or orphaned family. He started the school because he didn't have any children and all of his relatives had died. So he and his wife, who tried desperately to have kids, had this massive fortune. His wife died and then he was left with what is now an upwards of almost $20 billion fortune. So I went to school for there for high school. And I like to think that's Part of the the reason I've always been fascinated by people's stories, not only growing up in a wacky home with weird personalities, but then being at the front seat of some of the most extraordinary personal stories I've ever heard at the Milton Hershey School. I thought that I would go into politics. I went to school in Washington, D.C., and I, you know, worked a, a couple different internships, including the White House. I got a degree in political science, but ended up working representing law firms as a media consultant and had my own firm and did that for a long time. And I always had this harboring secret dream to work in the entertainment industry. I started to have children 
And my husband's best friend said, you really have to write. So I started taking improv comedy classes and started what was like a blog, which no one reads blogs anymore, recapping television episodes of reality TV, which I think it began with Real Housewives of Orange County. So I, I got a following from that. And then from there, I thought this idea of creating a podcast that was all about reality television, because I have a photographic memory. I can remember details about people. And so once I watch something, it, that person stays with me. And I often want to find out what happened to them years and years after. So my idea, mm. which I pitched to a network was I want to track down people that have been on reality shows and see how it changed the course of their life. People like the first season of The Real World, for example. Great idea. Love it. And at the time, which was five and a half years ago, they said to me, we're concerned not enough people watch reality television. And I said, you're out of your mind. And that is hilarious to our earlier point on how many podcasts now are just about reality television. Yes. There's such a hunger for those stories. And I think over time, people have become a little bit more willing to advertise that they watch reality shows. But for a good period of time, mm -hmm. people would say, oh, I, you know, I'm too cerebral for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a dirty secret. It's like a dirty secret, but I've always looked at reality shows and I couple that under, well, I put that under the unscripted umbrella. Mm -hmm. So reality shows, docuseries, documentaries, real people, real stories. And, you know, you could watch This Is Us and then the season ends and you'd think to yourself, I love those characters. The great thing about Unscripted is like you can continue to keep up with those people and who they are in the world because certainly who they are now will be completely different than two, five, ten years from now. Yeah. But I also look at all these shows as like a cultural anthropologist. So Yes, me too. Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking about like, what does this say about this person and the lens through which they look at life? And I love nothing more than feeling like I get a peek into someone else's world and another um, part of the world, or I don't know, maybe even in my own county, Orange County. I just like to see what makes people tick. And I think that this this platform is an incredible opportunity to tell really insightful stories. And for the person that says, I don't have time to watch reality TV. You can go fuck yourself because I have five children and I can make that dream happen. <laughs> but also somebody's like, like somebody just said to me the other week, you know, <laughs> how can you watch that? And I'm like, do you watch war movies? Yeah. Did you watch American Sniper? Oh, I loved it. It was my favorite. Like you wanted to watch somebody having a, like a drill go into their head. That that doesn't seem perverse, but watching somebody on Shaws of Sunset take you to the border of Turkey and tell you their experience, how their relatives were were left but to leave Iran and now you get to learn about their customs their culture etc like that to me is a really incredible thing so I love to be part of this world and every day I love to talk to people who create these shows and who are on these shows what was it about Real Housewives of OC that made you like pull the trigger and finally start the blog I was eating at a Greek restaurant and there was a city paper and I opened it and there was an interview with the five women it was yet to air and it said this is going to be a new show set in Orange County and it's going to go behind the scenes of the gates of Cota do Casa and I remember this one woman who's in the show named Vicky Gumbelson she was they the reporter pointed out that she was speaking for all of them and kind of telling them what mm -hmm. to do and what to say and I thought okay, that's interesting. Like there's this group of friends, they live in suburbia. One is telling the others what to do. I'm like, that sounds familiar to my mom and her friends and people that I knew. So I tuned into that for just for the story, but also because I just moved to Orange County because I'd first moved to LA mm. and then I met my husband and he started a software company. So we moved to Orange County. So I was just like, I moved here. I can't really explain to people how weird this place is. 
but now there's a show that can kind of showcase it. Well, wasn't also the Real Housewives? The entire franchise was spawned off of a scripted yeah. show, yeah. Desperate Housewives, right? Right. The yes. idea of these bored housewives living in little communities where it is groups of friends that was a yeah. scripted what was then an hour-long dramedy for abc i believe and it was a massive hit and then bravo came along and was just like let's just do that for real yeah. a million times in a million different cities and create this giant empire create perfect content mm -hmm. to your earlier point too about people saying oh how can you watch that in terms of like viewing reality television as some kind of just like bullshit, meaningless kind of junk media, I think that that is an antiquated attitude. And I, I think too. you don't see that attitude in younger generations. No. Specifically because we watch everything on our phones now. And it's just like if something's on a screen, it is content. That is it. That is all. There is no hierarchy of like, well, that's good content and worth my time. And that's not. It's like if you're entertained by it or informed by it, it doesn't matter what the format is, who's making it, how it's made. It's just does it hold your attention on a screen? And that's all that matters. I also think that there's a huge segment of the population that is hunger, hungry for stories that are about people they know, right? So in scripted television for so long, you would never see a woman over 40 years old, most certainly not a woman who has mm -hmm. a bunch of kids. And the idea of getting a peek into the world of a woman who may work in an insurance office and her boss is an absolute bitch. And she took the job because her husband divorced her because he was a cheating asshole. And now she has to make income to pay for her two bratty kids. And in the process meets this really wealthy guy. And now she gets married and now she's more wealthy than the woman who was the bitch boss. It's like, you can't write that shit. You cannot write no. that. And so there's that. And also the relatability, like, okay, I can see someone's life unraveling. For example, in Real Housewives, you see so many couples that divorce over the course of the show because they probably had a lot of problems before and then it's magnified on television. And I think a lot of people are kind of caught in their own world. Their indiscretions get revealed. And there's always, always, always. <laughs> but also I think people are privately, people are struggling in their own circumstances and they think either I relate to that and I'm going to navigate my own life while watching this person's experience because they can make the mistakes that maybe I don't want to make. But also, I need some relief from my shitty job or my jerk in-laws. And this gives me the space to just check out for a little bit and then come back and recharge my battery. Yeah. Or my boyfriend is shitty, but at least he didn't fake cancer. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> I also think it's the nature of how media has changed, especially in the last like five or so years, really with the rise of like streaming and Netflix and all the different streaming services. But these, they're not just shows anymore. None of this yeah. stuff is. Bachelor, Housewives, whatever. These are worlds unto themselves. They're giant media brands that people who watch the shows don't just watch the show. You're following everybody on social media. You're watching all the other shows. You're watching the, like uh, Andy Cohen, Watch What Happens Live. You're watching the recap shows. You're reading yeah. it about, about it in Us Weekly and people. So there's this entire world built around it in the same way that you have like, a Marvel franchise or a yes. Star Wars or a Fast and Furious. These reality franchises now have that as well. These worlds that you can inhabit if you're a part of it. And with the metaverse coming mm -hmm. very soon, we'll all be virtually in these. You'll be sitting in the rooms with the housewives. You'll be at the rose ceremony, standing sure. on the risers. I cannot wait for that shit. But before we get to the metaverse, we had to go through <laughs> media of a prior era. So I want to ask you this question. You're obviously well-versed in contemporary pop culture. You, you're writing about it constantly, doing all these podcasts. 
What did you watch when you were growing up as a little kid? Uh, Wonder Years, because Fred yeah. Savage was living a parallel life. He had his first kiss the same week that I did. His, oh. he, had a, a, <laughs> he had a brother that was kind of a jackass. My sister was a gigantic bitch to me. He, um, <laughs> It was just like, oh my God, Fred Savage, I get it. And by the way, he's still like somebody I find incredibly funny, inspirational, and like a great uh, storyteller. I agree. He's a fantastic director now. He's amazing. So I, I feel like I, lo- I watch a lot of episodic television sitcoms. Same. I could sing to you many theme songs. I watched a prodigious amount of television because my mom wasn't really hands-on. So, I mean, I can recall crazy stuff because I watched so much television. I also watched um, a lot of soap operas, like General Hospital. I watched that with my mom every summer. I would come home watching that. And I would be like, Mom, what's the story with Luke and Laura? And she's like, oh, uh, he raped her. I'm like, that was the house that I kind of grew up in. So there's that. But then I always, I also have that memory thing where I remember everybody's stories. So, um, yeah. And I watched a lot of MTV. Same. I watched a ton of videos. And I loved the real world. I came home for like a like a weekend from school, from boarding school, and they had a reunion or or excuse me, um, a marathon Mm -hmm. of the real world. And I did not leave the television. I was like, what? I want to know who Eric and Julie are and what town did they grow up in and how many siblings do they have and what do their parents do and who are their friends in high school and what kind of job do they want to have? And are they going to keep in touch Mm -hmm. afterward? Like that's the shit that would run through my brain. When all the other kids were like, let's go play hopscotch or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever they were doing. (laughs) Outside. And I always loved People magazine and I loved to filter through and I could remember the names of people's children. And then it's funny when I worked in L.A., I was working in the corporate office of uh, corporate division of a communications firm called Magnet Communications. And my friend Nikki worked next to me and she was running the entertainment department and she would be like, God, what is the name of like Kelsey Grammer's production company? I'd be like, Gramnet Productions. Like I just would remember stupid information. Um, and so I just think that um, that's the beauty of all these, like the things that you watch is that if you pay attention enough, things will crop up. And I think it's a great, like just conversation starter. If you, if that's a great question, for example, like anybody, like what did mm-hmm. you watch as a kid? And then you find that the person across the table from you, you thought you had nothing in common with, like also watch the Wonder Years. No, I mean, all the stuff that you're saying, like being able to sing the sitcom songs <laughs> and stuff from the 80s and the 90s, like, you know, what was fucking family ties? What would we do, baby, baby with our with love? Us. All that shit is in my head, too. And I watched it constantly. My parents were very hands on, but they also watched TV constantly. Yeah. It was like what we did as a family. It was HBO. Yeah. It was all those sitcoms. Totally. It was definitely the Wonder Years. I watched every fucking episode of that. I know the exact episode you're talking about when he kisses Winnie Cooper. And of course, Real World. And what you're saying about when you're pitching your show and people are like, do people watch reality TV or want to know about what happened to these people? It's like now Paramount Plus has the show where they bring back everybody from season one to shoot a new season. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, some part of me is like, yeah, I interviewed Eric Neese five years ago, people. Like, hello. Wait, do you remember the show on HBO called it was not not necessarily the news? I loved it. It had a segment in it called Sniglets, which I owned every book Stop of. It. Yes, it was Rich Hall wrote Rich those Hall, books. Hilarious. Hilarious comedian from the 80s. And he would create words that didn't exist. And then no. he, they would print those uh, all the words that he made for this. Not necessarily the news. It was like a fake news show. And uh, it was kind of like ahead of its time. It's maybe a little bit like a... <laughs> 
a, a John Oliver type show, but it was like so. all yes. comedy. Do you remember? And I think about this every time I pass a gas station. Soaso. That was a person that instead of waiting at the at the stoplight with the four, they uh-huh. cut through a gas station. <laughs> And then turn right on the highway. It's called an SOASO. I still think about that to this day. Chad, where have you been all my life? Where were we separated at birth? It could be. I mean, but I always find it interesting when you talk to somebody like this, like we have essentially an identical media upbringing and yeah. now we're doing something yeah. very similar as a job. Yeah. I feel like I'm seeing the formation of a dynamic duo right now. And I, can I tell you something? I'm a horrible parent and here's why. My kids, my two oldest are media consumers and I don't have a problem with it because I'm like, you guys, this will allow you to have street cred wherever you go. You can talk about anything with anybody. And I was explaining on my Patreon the other day that with the Ukraine stuff, I was, you know, I sat the kids down, like, do you understand what's going on in the world? And they were like, yeah, dipshit. My mom or my mom, my sit, my, my daughter, I just said my mom because my daughter's name is Mia. Mia is on TikTok and she follows all these Mm -hmm. Ukrainians that like that have accounts. And she said, Oh yeah, not your bay boy uh, was just just posted the other day. She was in the basement crying because of the the gunshots. But now she's headed out to the border. She just posted. I was like, what? So she shows me, and then you scroll through the comments, and all these little, you know, like teenagers are like, we stand with you. They change their profiles, and I thought that is exactly why media is so important because otherwise, kids across the world wouldn't be able to connect in that same way. And I feel like. We didn't have that luxury, but we had TV. So no matter where we went, we could talk about like, maybe it wasn't a TV show, but like the Whitney Houston video or AHA's Take On Me, something mm-hmm. that like we had someone to connect with. Totally. Michael Jackson's thriller was event television in the 80s. They would tell you, we are going to play this video Friday night at midnight and you would fucking be home to watch that shit. Like you, you were not missing it. Oh, yeah. And can't leave the room. You can't leave the room. Don't go to the bathroom. We, My sister, I'd be like, do not, do not go to the bathroom because you're going to miss this. That is stressful. <laughs> I, I definitely had like uh, habitual viewing protocols yes. that were like every Friday night, I was watching the top 20 music video countdown. Every Saturday night was Saturday Night Live. And then whatever was on HBO yeah. after that. Who, yeah. Who's your favorite SNL? It's probably Dana Carvey. I really loved what he did. And I thought he was a funny. No, probably Phil Hartman. Yeah. The turtle? Yeah. yeah, the turtle. That was his best work. No, that movie is not. Come on. Or he wasn't the turtle, though. That was in uh, The Man of Many Faces or whatever. I forget the name of that movie. Have you ever read Have you ever read the book, The Chris Farley Show? No. Oh, my God. Get that. Anybody who's listening, please get that. It, it is. I mean, he died at 33. It's so sad. Same age as John Belushi, by the mm-hmm. way. But that book, you have such a window into what a sweet, kind person and the stories Mm -hmm. that everybody tells, you will laugh out loud and then you will cry and then you will laugh out loud again. You're going to love that book, The Chris Farley Show. I know you will. I'll check it out for sure. I mean, he was one of my favorites too, obviously. Gilda Radner is my favorite. Gilda Radner is like hero. Oh, she's amazing. There, I mean, there's just so many people who have gone through that. And every once in a while, I'll, you know, have some cause to meet one of them. Like I met... uh, Jane Curtin a while back because a friend was in a pilot with her and I was at the taping of it and it was just like this is I'm meeting like a legend a a fucking living legend it's absolutely incredible especially how much they shaped really what modern comedy became and especially what it was in that era but um I in terms of like letting your kids watch media and stuff 
as I said, my parents definitely let me watch whatever I wanted. There was no restriction. Like I could watch rated R movies or, or whatever. And I think, especially as an adult, something I've become acutely aware of that maybe I didn't quite understand when I was watching it as a kid, uh, is that it was a reflection of our society in those times. Like just take family ties, which we discussed here briefly when we were singing the song (laughs) to each other. (laughs) That show was about two kind of like hippies, hippie, liberal, artsy kind of parents who had a son that was a young Republican, Michael J. Fox, a.k.a. Alex P. Keaton. And that whole show was about really the, the changing of the guard in America and what the, the youth generation, what it was about politically, what it was about socially. And it was right wing young Republicans standing up to the hippie parents of the 60s. And uh, that was like a massive hit TV show. And so I think even just as, as one example, but there are many, many other examples that you can look at in all eras of television and media. But I think the more of that you can absorb, the, even if you're not aware of it, it's teaching you about what society is. And especially looking at like what shows are very popular, what are hit shows, those are the best reflections because people see themselves in it. That's why we watch that stuff. And so in my mind, it's like intaking media in whatever form you can television shows, movies, music, books, video games, TikTok, whatever. It's all the same. It's all just a mirror reflecting back at us who we are. So I think it's invaluable. You also can't really stop it unless you're like homeschooling your kids in a forest. Oh, and who wants to do that? I mean, God knows I don't want to. I also loved on Family Ties that Mallory was a dingbat. So you had the brother who was like super into politics. And I'm like, that is every family in America. You could have like one kid that's like, what do you mean you didn't read Newsweek? And then you have another one that's like, wait, what? And then the the younger daughter, <laughs> the Tina Yellers character was not, she was just kind of there. They they always, I felt like, had trouble figuring out who her character was going to be. But do you remember uh, Scott Valentine, the guy who played Mallory's? Oh, of course. Yeah, he was a heartthrob. Did you ever see the movie he did called My Demon Lover? No. Okay. I just wanted to see how far down the hole you went. <laughs> do you, uh, did you ever watch The Boy Who Could Fly? Fuck yeah. Chad's now making I mean, these facts up just to test you. <laughs> no, how dare you? My Demon Lover was great. Okay. The Boy Who Could Fly still to this day makes me cry my face off. I definitely remember The Boy Who Could Fly. My Demon Lover was... I'm going to watch that. It was not as serious as The Boy Who Could Fly. (laughs) It was a rom-com about Scott Valentine plays this kid who gets caught making out with a girl in his teenage years. The mom comes in. The mom puts a curse on him that whenever he gets aroused, he becomes a literal demon. And so the wow. the whole movie is him trying to remove this curse <laughs> because he's fallen in love with somebody and he can't let her see him as a demon. Did you ever watch oh, af- after school specials? Of course. There was this one after school special and it, they, it was from a book that I bought on eBay. I believe it's Canadian book. It's from a library. It has like, you know, the number on the on the, you know, the binder, whatever. So it was the story about this boy and this girl that meet at school. And they fall in love. And then he finds out that the girl that he's fallen in love with, his mom, who's a drunk, killed her sister while she was riding her bike. And when the mom was drinking, she was a drunk driver. And so there's this whole issue that her parents are like, you cannot date him. He his mom killed your sister. And then (laughs) they would send they sent the mom. Every year on the girl's birthday, a black rose, like a dying (laughs) rose. Holy shit. That's intense. And in retrospect, I was like, I watched that shit when I was like, I don't know, fifth grade. 
Yeah. Like, wow, what a doozy. Shit was different wow. back then. I remember watching Watership Down, which is an animated <laughs> show or an animated movie based on this book. Was that about rabbits? <laughs> I read that book. But it's terrifying. terrifying. The rabbits are fighting, killing each other. They're, one of them is having like constant LSD <laughs> nightmares. It's like, it's bananas. Yeah. And you're just like a five, 10-year-old kid being like, let's watch cartoons. And that's what they're showing you. Hell on earth through a rabbit's eyes. Well, that's why we have thick skin. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Wow. It was a different era. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm always curious to know what people watched growing up because I do think, like I said, it informs yeah. who you become as an adult, obviously. And I think it is a great connector. Like what you were saying, it made me realize I was in a sorority in college yeah. and during Rush, we were supposed to ask like all these questions that would like get at their leadership qualities or like what community service oh, have they done? And mm. I was like, I'm not doing any of that. I just asked people what TV they watch. I think that's <laughs> I had a great time. Yeah. My, my I have two half sisters and one's 10 years older than me and one's four year young four years younger than me. So I also felt like I watched so many sitcoms that were like I would watch eight is enough reruns. Like that was yes. the whole decade before me. But uh -huh. I, I felt like I had working knowledge of that. And then I like my yeah. younger sister watched other shows so I could I could hang. I did the exact same thing when like things like Petticoat Junction or even the monkeys, they aired that on uh, Nickelodeon, I think. I watched the monkeys too. That was awesome. They right. did. Here we come. Walking, Walking down, down the street. The street. Got the funniest looks from yeah. everyone. Everyone we meet. We meet. Yeah, that was a great show. I have a similar kind of like uh, retention ability with all media. Anything that I watch is kind of like just in my head now forever. Yeah. That's the way it is, I suppose. So this is what you watched as a child. Mm -hmm. Now we are in the era of social media. Yeah. What was your first interaction with social media? And like when you got on hmm. Instagram, what was that like? Um, I feel like the first ones that I things that I post on Instagram were of my kids. And there were only like a few of my friends that were on Instagram. And then I noticed that because my daughter was quite young, that there was this whole other world of mom Instagram influencers that I would watch from afar. I mean, I'm kind of like adjacent to them because I know people in that space. So for me, that was like another almost like an extension of reality television, watching the Instagram mm -hmm. influencer world. And I'm glad that Nick Bilton created that HBO documentary, Fake Famous, which I think really perfectly illustrates the bananary of it. Bananary is my word for things that are bananas and you cannot explain them otherwise. But I, I feel like I just remember thinking, oh my God, for Instagram specific, this is ridiculous. Like the lies that go on, like somebody who just posts a picture of a coffee table, uh, like a book on a coffee table, like clearly 3000 people did not like that picture. Like there's just no way possible. So, um, I do think that that was, has been a great thing about social media is it's just an extension of this unscripted world. And like all these, all of these accounts that people have are like their own channels, really. And so you get mm -hmm. a window into how someone's world is. And some people are more honest than others. And I think that it kind of ebbs and flows, right? Like, I think that generation, like the millennials were much more about posting pictures that were vapid and self-serving and bikinis and that kind of thing. And then I'm noticing that generation Z is much more about authenticity and like, we're going to show you our, our cellulite and our like our roles and that our, we live dis in a disgusting, shitty room. And they're, they embrace authenticity and honesty in a way that millennials didn't. And then 
what is it, Generation Alpha, is going to be completely yeah, different. Yeah, exactly. Nobody's doing anything real in there. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's interesting watching how it kind of ebbs and flows, you know? I think Gen Z, or sorry, Gen Alpha, and some of Gen Z, I think we're we're fast approaching a time where there will be nothing authentic in social media yeah. because we will all have the ability to do very realistic deep fakes and whatever kind of avatars and shit like that that we yeah. want. And the the possible detriment of posting something authentic that enough people don't like that you get called out for and it fucking drops your follower count or gets you in some kind of trouble. I think that threat is going to make people not ever want to post anything with themselves yeah. again. I think everyone will have a fake persona that they use specifically for all of their online interactions. I do I do hate the way that social media though does dictate how much power someone has. Like I've been told so many times like if you had a million followers, you would have this. Mm-hmm. And you know, most people don't want to game the system and buy followers. They want someone to value the work that they do. And I see even in reality stars that I interview, a lot of them I've interviewed have said, well, I did this show because I wanted to be an actor or I want to be a singer, but I'm always asked about how many followers I have. So I, they basically use it. And much like the bachelor contestants as an escalator to success, like instead of doing the grind, Mm -hmm. I'll just go on the show. It'll get me that. So I have enough power to, to do the next opportunity. And that I hate. That I hate, you know, some substitute Hmm. teacher uh, went on The Bachelor, was kicked off two weeks later. And now she's like, you know, I've got a multi-level marketing company called Pancakes, Waffles and Bracelets, and you can all join it. You're like, wait, what? What? How did that happen? But getting into The Bachelor is a difficult process in and of itself. That's not nothing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 10,000 people, I mean, at least for Bachelor, roughly. I don't know what the actual stats were this year. It seems like it might be tapering off a little bit, but roughly 10,000 people apply to get in that show. 30 make it. That's not great odds. I don't know if I told you this, but I went one year to the auditions in Costa Mesa. Oh, wow. What's interesting about this is I pretended I, I wanted to be a contestant even though I was married, but I brought two of my children and then another one in a baby Bjorn. And I stood in line just to see how people would react. And, and it was th- this, my observation was that they were all either between like 18 and 22. And then there was a lull. And then you'd see like a 32 year old in a jumpsuit who you could tell, like, you know, had lived some life. You know what I mean? And, um, and then <laughs> clues it is springtime. It is the off season. It is gore girl summer. The weather's getting warmer. Thank you. Dark Lord Palmer. And it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and cowls and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul, get those staple pieces, and I found quince. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces keeping me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I got the cotton modal scoop neck tee. It is so cute. It is literally the first thing I reach for in my dresser when all my clothes are washed. You know those special items. If you are not like Clues, who only wears one outfit. I'm Quince head to toe at this point. I'm a Quince boy. (gasps) I'm a source boy, Quince boy. You got no idea. I'm wearing Quince t-shirts, Quince pants, Quince long sleeve t-shirts, Quince pants, Quince sweaters, Quince pants. I'm Quinced. (laughs) Just call me Quinced, King Quinces. Okay. They call me. 
I love Quince. Okay, Quince. Uh, get warm weather ready with Quince. Be a Quince king yourself or Quince queen. Go to Quince.com slash roses for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash roses to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash roses. Game of Roses is sponsored by BetterHelp. Clues, uh, we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And if you keep them all bottled up, it can affect you negatively. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. You might be taking care of your physical body, but are you taking care of that beautiful mind, Clues? Yes. I have benefited from therapy greatly in the past. Uh, It has helped me get through stressful experiences, manage boundaries, learn coping skills. You know, the... The whole premise of life is is kind of a, a, it's a lot to undertake, and therapy can help with that. Well, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do to get started is fill out a brief questionnaire, then you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists literally at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Game of Roses today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Game of Roses. Clues, mm-hmm. I've been on a mission. I'm trying to find Ooh. the perfect t-shirt. Yeah. Um, because it's spring. I'm ready to get out there. I'm ready to peacock. Luckily, the perfect t-shirt does exist, and you can find it at Skims. From cropped silhouettes to long-sleeve layering tees, there's a style for everyone. You guys know how excited I was that Skims became one of our sponsors for this podcast. They have great basics and foundations. I got the boyfriend t-shirt in onyx. That's kind of a dark black color and the cotton jersey long sleeve t-shirt in kyanite which is kind of like a blue green and they're both so comfortable it's basically like you are wearing nothing great for free spirit types well for all the free spirits out there right now you can shop the skims t-shirt shop at skims.com now available in sizes xxs through 4x if you haven't yet be sure to let them know we sent you after you place your order select podcasts in the survey and select our show in the drop down menu that follows again that's skims they were all they kind of looked similar i mean this i think it's changed of course over the last couple seasons but i just remember thinking like there is a template here right so i could see how in your line of work how it can be really fascinating and all the whole algorithm to it because I did witness that there was like the same kind of woman trying out. Did you do the interviews? I just know I was just like chatting with, with I had my babysitter at the time cause I I'm ridiculous videotape it. Um, but I was just like standing in line and I got had my daughter Hayes and Bjorn and the two kids behind and the two kids behind were like, come on, mom, can we go? And I'm like, no, I just want to see if this dream happens for me. And they were all like, oh my God. <laughs> like, what is happening here? And the people that work there, they were like, huh? They were so confused. 
It's pretty funny. <laughs> oh my god. This is making me think that we need to do a road trip to one of these. <laughs> oh, for sure. You got to. You have to. Whenever they start up again? I don't they haven't done them during the pandemic, right? Well, it's probably all Zoom now, right? But I feel like it yes. is essential for them to meet in person cuz a girl could do the whole filter thing and then you see them in person and you're like, "Oh yeah." You know, I don't know. You know what is nice though? I do feel like Maybe they're a little bit more willing to accept a girl that's maybe like a size four. And by the way, this is a ridiculous conversation. But for the sake of TV, like I feel like in the beginning, you had to have a for sure hot tub buddy body. Mm -hmm. You had to have a size zero peck bikini body. And it does seem. Yeah, Mike Fly says that on camera during what was it? Season two, two or three? Season two. Two. He says, you got to look good in a bikini, in a hot tub. Now I feel like, you know, there there are a lot more shapes that they're kind of open to. Maybe not all the way, but like maybe we're getting somewhere, right? Well, I can tell you this. In the Zoom interviews, one part of them, they make players stand up, step back from the camera and do a full spin around so they can look at their body. Yeah. Hmm, fun. Sounds like University of Maryland sorority where they circle your fat and make you stand on like a pedestal, right? A little bit. I don't know. Never went to <laughs> University of Maryland. <laughs> I want to go back to something we touched on briefly when we went on your show, which was you interning at the White House. This was when you were trying to pursue a political career and you were there during a very famous intern White House time, correct? Yes, I got a job uh, in the lower press office. And I only think I got the job because I went to school in D.C. So most interns want to be there, obviously, during the summer when it's like fun to be in D.C., not in the cold. So my job was to do um, there's the upper press office is like, you know, World News Tonight, 60 Minutes, et cetera. Lower press is like regional papers. So they kicked down the worst job to a specific intern. And that intern had to be me at that time, which was come to the old executive building at 530, rummage your way through stacks and stacks of newspapers and find for us all the articles about what's going on with the administration. And I had to cut it out and to make copies. And if they were smudged at all, I'd have to redo it. It was the dumbest process. And you could easily do this just by like, you know, some computer, like, software system now. You would deliver these to who and for what purpose? So then I would compile them. It'd be like this massive stack and like just so that they get into their office and it's like, okay, what do the people like at Los Angeles Times think of our our Department of Education policy or whatever? So I would have to walk through the old executive building with my little badge and then I would go into the um, West Wing and then go to each desk and drop off the clips before they got to the office. Um, And so what is crazy is while I was an intern, the Monica Lewinsky story started to unravel. And so I felt like I was living this parallel life to her because also not only was I a student and an intern, but I also weeded tables at Tony and Joe's on the waterfront. So I was working right near the Watergate building where Monica and her mom lived. And I would often go to this one restaurant, which was across the street from another restaurant that she went to. Like there were so many parallels And so whenever I read anything about the Monica Lewinsky case or when I watch the Ryan Murphy series, I'm just like, oh, my God. It's like the fact that I'm not friends with her is crazy. She went on a date with what's his name? Jake Tapper at the restaurant I worked one of the restaurants I worked at in college. It was crazy. But, yeah, that was a weird time. What was the craziest about it was that 
there were all these stories, obviously, how she would go into the West Wing and like, I guess, give him a blowjob. Allegedly. And I was not naive. And I mentioned this to you, not naive to the fact that people had affairs. Like, I, I got that. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I just thought there's no way that could have happened because I always felt like even in the morning when I was dropping those clips, clips off, I felt like I was being watched all the time. So I just couldn't wrap that around my brain. Like, how could an intern like myself go and even go anywhere private with the president? Because there, first of all, there's someone outside of his office all the time. There's a guard. But those guards are setting it up. They're in on it. Yeah, I didn't get it then because I was a dumbass. <laughs> House of Cards hadn't come out yet. Yeah, I was like, what? I'm like, didn't know how it was possible. It's like, mom, there's just yeah. no way. There's My mom's like, Katie. Yeah, trust me. There's a way. When there's a way, there's a when there, when there's a will, there's a way. Absolutely. When there's a willy, there's a way. Hey. But I've asked her. To, I asked her to be my 400th guest, and she ignored me. I feel confident at some point. I mean, maybe I'll walk past her at a restaurant. Maybe this will be the interview that does it. Yeah, she'll listen to this and be like, "Now I gotta get on this." She's in the pit. Well, my friend Shanann <laughs> writes for Toronto Star, and when that series came out, he wrote an article called "The Other White House Intern," and he asked me like what I thought of the series, and I thought for sure. And Sarah Paulson commented on it, but I couldn't mm. get to Monica. Now there's still time. Oh wait, I left one part out. So then after that, I get asked to speak at this Democratic Congressional Caucus meeting. They needed a kid to talk about saving student loans and Pell Grants. So I was like a junior in college. I go, it's filmed for C-SPAN, like Sam Donaldson's in the back of the room. I sit next to Ted Kennedy. This is crazy, too. My mom's crying her face off in the front row because like she's like a Kennedy Democrat. So it's Ted Kennedy sitting next to me. Nancy Pelosi, who's an alum of my college, is like across the And I introduced... Um, Vice President Gore. And then the president spoke. And so I was like sitting in the front row. And so I was so excited. I'm like, this is such a big moment for me in my life. The next day, the Washington Post wrote, a young girl around the age of Monica Lewinsky spoke about saving student loans. I was like, that's insane. So I just feel like she owes it to me. (laughs) She stole your thunder in that article for sure. She sure did. Wow. That's incredible. Well, let me ask you this question uh, about just reality television, pop culture, whatever. You know, in the past few years, there's been a drastic change in how we consume media, how much of it is produced, how we access it, all these things. Where do you, what do you think is like the future of not just reality TV, but media generally? Where do you think we're headed with this? Well, I think the people in the short term are far less interested in shows like Real Housewives. I think that there are certain shows like that in The Bachelor that are becoming quite stale. And I think the burden is on those producers and those networks to come up with really fresh new content. And I just don't think that's fresh anymore. And I think that's why you see things like Love is Blind explode. Um, I also think that... There is a huge interest now in docu-series and documentaries because I think people are hungry for more real stories, stories of tenacity, hard work, grit, and that to see somebody who has a smoke and mirror lifestyle with a luxury car that we know is on lease and a husband that hates their wife and hair extensions, like I think those days are kind of over, or at least for the short term, where people want something new and different. So I think you'll see much more interest in in more uh, authentic sometimes even more painful storytelling. True crime is, there's an explosion of interest in a true crime. Um, that, those kind of stories. Do you know the, the documentary maker iDubs on YouTube? I don't think I do. 
He's got, I believe, 8 million subscribers, and all of his videos regularly get tens of millions of views. And what he primarily does is he'll find a some kind of niche celebrity or some kind of weird subculture in the internet, yeah. and he'll do a documentary specifically about that person or that thing or whatever. And because it's all online, pretty much, I mean, he does other people too, but primarily he's talking about like online movements or celebrities, uh, they get massive views. And so I think that like a move, really we're seeing like the, the fragmentation of all media mm -hmm. where you can have now an audience of like a million people on network TV, for example, that's like not bad. You know, we're, we're tracking some of the ratings and stuff. And yeah. it's like, as there are just more ways to get media and docuseries and, and whatever you may be into, I think we are losing the ability to have like a hit TV show. Like, I don't think a Game of Thrones will ever happen again where you're getting like 80 million people watching a fucking one episode of a TV show. Or like the shows of the past, like, a, I don't know, like a Real Housewives. If you have like a major, like great episode, maybe you get 750,000 viewers. Compare that to like what you would get in like The Bachelor in its heyday. Compare that to Netflix has like 95 million subscribers. If you're in the top 10 of Netflix uh, trending um, you know, choices on Netflix, like the, the, the cable channel cannot anyway compete with the streaming networks. So that's a big issue. And so the cable channels that create their own streaming networks, they have to compete also with the ones that have been already around for a couple of years, like Netflix. So let's say a Peacock, the burden is on them to get as many subscribers as Netflix. That's a huge uphill battle and a lot of money. And I don't know how many of those new streaming networks can compete with, you know, some of these others. Like Hulu has like what, 75 million subscribers. Like it's insane. Uh, the first ones to the party were definitely the massive beneficiaries. I feel like, cause yeah. I, even now, like, I feel like most people are just fucking tapped out. I have my Netflix. I have my yeah. Hulu. I got mm -hmm. my Disney plus. I got my Amazon prime. I got my YouTube TV. I'm probably missing one in there. HBO max. And that's yeah. it. There's stuff on Paramount Plus that I want to watch. I refuse to do it. Well, you could watch a lot. You could watch stuff on Paramount Plus through Amazon Prime. You can watch um, some stuff through other apps. It's kind of there's there's just way to maneuver the system. But I, I also think that we're all just going to become our own. We're our own streaming networks at some point, you know? Oh, absolutely. I talk about yeah. this constantly. That in the very near future, I think, especially with the advent of quantum <laughs> computing and AI, we're going to be able to just ask our phones or whatever device to create media for us. Yeah. Like, I want to see a new season of Game of Thrones starring Will Smith and whoever else I like, and it will just create it for you. Yeah. And that'll be that. I don't think people will make media for much longer, maybe 10 or 15 years. And then it'll just become like, in terms of profit, imagine if Netflix has an overhead in terms of production budgets for their stuff of zero dollars. I think they're yeah. going to do that. The good thing about that too is you're going to you can weed out the the shitty content and like sometimes there's too much mm. and then the good stuff kind of doesn't bubble to the top. Well, there's just too much good stuff too. The the problem of volume ultimately is that it creates so much good stuff that it you can't fucking watch it all. So you're going to miss some good stuff. And now there's so much stuff like we were talking about, you know, you want an hour long documentary about this or about this. There's a documentary about everything you can possibly fucking imagine. Any small, strange, specific taste you may have in media is now catered to with dozens, if not hundreds of hours of that exact content. So when you're trying to get me to watch like a network sitcom at this point, 
never, I'll never laugh at one of those again. Because in terms of what I find funny and what I think most contemporary media consumers find funny, it's all online. It's like meme culture and little funny short videos and stuff. That can make me laugh. A scripted network half hour is like paint drying. It's terrible now. No, God, no. Hasn't for a long time. Except for the good place. <laughs> right. Except for that. And bad judge. And bad judge. Those were the two last funny shows. Yeah. Oh, no, without, without question. Without question. Of course. <laughs> Um, I start. I started this must-watch list every week, and it um, you get it every Monday in your email. But I post it on all my socials, and I'm calling all the the best stuff from all these different networks to help people navigate that because I think that's the burden also of the consumer is that there's so much stuff out there. Like, how do you find the really good stuff? So um, it's my hope that more people will check those lists out because I really want to save people time and also um, bringing people together like people who are married or have partners or who have a roommate or a coworker that they share, you know, what they like with that, you know, I can find stuff for them that they can both enjoy. And I, I feel like anything that someone watches, I can go down that rabbit hole. They're like, I love Formula One on Netflix. I'm like, oh, well, then if you like that, then you're going to like this. You're going to like that. Um, and I just exposing people to great, you're an algorithm, exposing people. Yeah. To, to better, to more, um, more interesting stories. Totally. I I just feel like generally speaking too, though, media has lost its cultural relevance. It's, it's in terms of like its general relevance, it's more relevant than it's ever been. It's all we do is watch shit. But again, there isn't that like one big piece of media that everybody's talking about or that captures all of our attention at the same time. And if there is, it lasts for a week like Squid Game. Oh my God, every, Squid Game is amazing. Everybody's watching it. It's gone. No one gives a fuck now. Next. What's next? Yeah. And if you can't be memed, your shit doesn't matter. That really, the meme culture, I feel like, is what tells us what is important. Okay, bringing it back to a, a cultural staple that is still hanging in there, The Bachelor. <laughs> Are you watching? Of course I am. What do you think about it now? How do you think that they could last into the future? What what changes would you want to see? Well, one thing, and you know this is to be true because I just said it to you yesterday. I think they need to bring back the mole. I loved that. The yes, idea that the there's mole. a contestant and you can't fully trust anybody, which make like heightens the game factor, that you don't know how much you should share with anybody, which makes you live at some sort of elevated state. And the idea mm-hmm. that that person is giving that information to the bachelor, who, by the way, it doesn't even matter what you tell them, because if they have any brain cells, they would speak up and say, oh, God, I don't want a crazy person. But they usually don't. Um, I would like a mole. I would like that. Um, the Jesse Palmer thing. And I've said this before. I actually know the girl that he chose. And I said to her, I'm convinced the mole was in love with him. And she said, absolutely not. They were just great friends. But if you look back at that and I know that you have, it's a little bit weird. So I think, yeah, I still feel she like she was the wife of his friend. She took it a little <sighs> bit too personal and serious. And I liked it for that reason. So if I were behind the scenes, I'd say, let's hire somebody who's a mole or like get the, the, the lead and then a mole. But the mole can't be married because that that's a buzzkill. I want a mole who's who might be a like sexy mole, like an old girlfriend or boyfriend. And they're sabotaging these girls. Right while also navigating their own personal feelings. And maybe by the end, he has like what, or she has two last options, you know, the finalists, and then chooses the mole on the end. Like that would be great television. 
And if I may add, we have a mole cam. They put a camera in oh, a little sure. brooch that the mole wears at all yeah. times so that we get a fisheye first-person perspective <laughs> shot of what she's seeing as she's going around and, and doing her dirty work. They should have had a la Big Brother, you know, live cams in the Bachelorette Mansion. I don't know why they haven't done that. Well, they did in some of the first seasons. I think they're worried. Chad and I have discussed why they haven't had a mole, and we were like, it seems like it's for TWR for the wrong reasons. Well, but I agree with you. They they should throw in they they need to do something. They need to spice it up. John Collins, who is a friend of mine who has edited a lot of Bachelor episodes, said that the majority of the time they're in the in the Bachelor Mansion, they're talking about stupid things like lip gloss. So it's actually kind of boring. <laughs> but there are people that are really obsessed with shows like Big Brother. You put the live feeds on the streaming network associated with. Yes. And then people pay a premium price to just watch. Then you pay a couple Twitter accounts to give really salacious, um, you know, info to the people following the Twitter feeds that trickles down to the memes and all of that stuff. That's going to get people more excited about the season because the way it is now is too boring. A live feed. I love that. Or maybe let them let the audience be part of the casting process. Here are the top 60 that we're looking at. Vote. Who do you want Clayton to meet during the, uh, you know, limo exits? And then people are like more invested. I think it should be like, do you ever watch The Ultimate Fighter? Yes. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know if they still do this. I haven't watched it in some time. But uh, they used to do a thing where it would be X amount of dudes would show up and then they had to do on the day one, they had to fight each other and the winners of those fights get to be on the show and the losers go home. I would love to see something like that. They bring 60 women to some kind of obstacle course, some kind of something and you have to fight your way into the house. Um, I would also like to see a competition where I see that with the the male leads competing to be the bachelor. So they have to do an obstacle course. They have physical challenges. We have to interview their see who their family is. I want to know who these people are before they're chosen because mm-hmm. I don't like being presented with someone like this person has walked the earth and has not been able to find their mate. Yeah, he's so sincere. And they tell you, like this is why we picked him. He's the most sincere bachelor ever. No, he's not. I've always dreamed of the opportunity to be asked by somebody to pretend to be a relative so I could be a hometown date. Mm-hmm. So I could just run through the questions. I think we all kind of feel that way. So if we could be part of the, you know, asking the bachelor like a series of questions, you know, the one the candidates and then we get to decide who ultimately is chosen. I do like somebody plucked from obscurity. I do like a lead that's like, listen, I've been working in banking for 13 years. I've got a, a real nice like a retirement account set up. I don't have an STD. I don't have anything in my criminal background. I had a girlfriend for six years. It didn't work out because her parents are batshit crazy and she had a sister with crystal meth and I don't want to sign up for that. <laughs> so uh, um, I'd like to be the lead. What do you guys think? I would like that. I agree. and But I mean, this would require them to understand how to use social media to run yeah. all of this through some kind of social media platform. And you have like, here's our 10 contestants. Now we're going to get to know each of them, little interviews with them. We yeah. get to vote whoever has the highest engagement. They're just never going to do it because the producers of the show are dinosaurs. They're dinosaurs. I am constantly told by one specific network that they think podcasts are irrelevant. I'm like, okay, it's hmm. not 1965 friends. Okay. So you need to like, Move into the future. That's why they're getting their asses kicked in streaming networks. Of course. 
It's because they're old and they are still trying to run television in a way that worked in 1980. That is dead now. But these people, in many cases, still have these very cushy jobs running the marketing for a network or for a certain series of shows or whatever. They've had that job for 20 fucking years. They're still getting paid a good salary. And I'm going to do it the way I've always done it. And it's like, well, that doesn't fucking work now. I'm sorry. Did you all not just see what Bachelor Nation TikTok posted this week? The video of Clayton dancing with Shrek? Yeah. That's not old. And that's great. Finally. But it's like, that should have been happening three years ago. And I think it's only by some kind of insane circumstance that it's happening now. Yeah, I don't think that this is like on purpose. They weren't like, we need somebody who really knows how to use TikTok. They were just like, eh, give them the job, I guess. And then it turns out they're really smart at TikTok. They really get it. You know, they got lucky with that. But I agree with you. I I think they need to like shake some shit up. At the very least, they need to shoot it differently. It should look at least as good as these other shows in the way it's presented. And Bachelor still looks like it looked in 2002. Yeah. And the candidate still stays at the Westlake Village, right? And they all stand at the tree and look out with their cowboy boot on with a piece of hay. Like, will I ever find love ever again in this world? Yet the hometown dates, everything's shot exactly the same. Isn't that insane? Sweaters, candles, the dreaded bathrobe. Unfortunately, Mother's Day gifts can be a little predictable and boring. That's why an aura frame is the perfect gift to mix things up this year. It was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. My mom loves hers. I'm throwing pictures of Skabuli and our cat up there. She's laughing. She's texting me. He's so cute. I wish I could meet him. It's the next best thing to, to meeting my cat, really. You know, I love that it was so easy to set it up. I've recently learned I'm not good at uh, building things. (laughs) <laughs> and I need an easy install. And oh. this only takes about two minutes to set up the frame using the Aura app. Aura frames are Wi-Fi connected, come with unlimited storage, so you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. She'll be grateful it's not another sweater, and she'll love the frame to see more of you. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A, Frames.com. Use code ROSES at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in... um three-body problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. It's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact, Mm. they have a tighter skin guarantee. 
If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare. If you are a wine lover like myself and you got to have it for your bachelor reviewing parties, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I found the personalized, the most personalized wine club that has amazing wines and exclusive perks called First Leaf. As a First Leaf member, you get to try new wines and I'm guaranteed to enjoy them because they got to know my unique preferences. I answered a few questions on their website, this quiz about the flavors you like, how often you drink wine, Monday nights, if you prefer red, white, or rosé. And based on these, it gives you this amazing selection of wines tailored just for you. And when you rate those wines, it gets even more tailored, a la, you know, uh, Netflix, just play into the algorithm. My algorithm got me both rosé and white wine, Mm. my favorites, and they were so delicious, and I've gotten to enjoy them with many of my my friends. Look, being part of the First Leaf Wine Club also has perks. As a member, you get access to their incredibly helpful wine concierge. So if you want uh, wine pairing advice or you want to talk about the wines in your box, you can always talk to one of their experts. Plus, you get member exclusive pricing. What's in the box? On every order. Join the club today and discover new wines you'll love with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash roses to get your first box. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F.com slash roses. Tryfirstleaf.com slash roses. Same. Yes. And I mean, I, I get it that it's like... It, especially in terms of like viewing as a sport, there is a certain format to visual presentation of all sports, but even football, even basketball, baseball, whatever, they start to alter how they present the game when new technology arises. You got like the, you know, that there's that camera that hangs on wires over a football game now that goes over the middle of the field and shit. Unbelievable. And you feel like you're in the middle of the field. Exactly. I literally just watched a basketball game the other night in virtual reality, in the metaverse. I was sitting courtside and then I was also sitting like in the basketball hoop, basically in VR. And it's like, why isn't The Bachelor trying to do something like that? Why aren't any of these reality shows? Because that is the way we're going. At least experiment with this shit. And they just refuse to do it. Again, I think it's because it's like there's five people who are like 70 years old that are like, this is the way we've always done it. I want to watch the live feed. I'm in the I'm on the Fimpro's tray. Don't you just love that? <laughs> I want to be standing next to the wall of pictures. And I remember they used to have them wear like the same dress, oh, yeah. or at least it looked like it. I remember I, inter- I interviewed Jen Sheft and she said, Kate, when I went to my after the rose ceremony, I think I wore pants. Like, I think she said, I think I wore khaki pants. I was like, times have changed, Tomas. I mean, wow. <laughs> that is, isn't that wild? And she got the full royale. Imagine this is night one. This is how you view it. You put on your VR goggles and you press the button. You're now sitting in the back of a limo with five other players as they're cheersing with their champagne and like, oh my God, I can't wait. And one of them's dressed as a penguin or something. And you're like, well, (laughs) she's fucking out. Then imagine you now are standing right near The Bachelor as each of the players is coming out of the limo and you get to watch them walking towards you and you get to stand one foot away as they're delivering their jokes or doing whatever they're doing. And now you're in the mansion. 
and you get to see each of them walking in. Maybe you're even the bartender. And so you get to be the first person they come to <laughs> to ask for their drink. And you're sitting, I mean, they could easily do this. You can buy a VR camera right now on Amazon for like $50. That's all it would take to just experiment with it and put that out and see if people like it. It takes away nothing from the actual presentation nothing. of the show. You no. can still throw that on ABC and this can be an additional little thing. Yeah. Or just put it on social media just to give people a little flavor. Test it out. Take it out of your candle budget. <laughs> when will we be asked? When will we be asked to run a television network? Network, I don't know. Show. Probably right after this comes out, this pod. <laughs> I think so. I think so. They're like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Within yeah. the next 48 hours, we will each be taking over a network. Wait, Kate, I have a, I have a question. Uh, back to your back to your blast from the past. When did you go from the blog to the podcast? What, was there something that made you? No, make just that the. Uh, I just thought there's nobody who does a show that's just all about unscripted. I mean, Watch What Crappens did re- recaps of Bravo shows, but I didn't see someone with the idea of interviewing people who had been on reality shows, like current reality shows or ones of the past. Actually, my first guest 450 plus episodes ago was Ashley Iaconetti. So it was right when she <gasps> had been crying I've all the time. Legend. heard of her. So when we inter- I interviewed her, I was like, what is the deal? Like, why are you crying so much? Um, and it was just a great episode. And she's like, Instagram followers, baby. <laughs> yeah, and then she started a podcast like a year after that or something. But I, I think that was almost famous. The Ben Higgins one. Yeah. I think she was sort of kind of like, what is this podcast thing? And then, you know, much like everybody you try it out and you're like, Oh, I kind of dig this. But yeah, that you were her muse. I was the first, I, I think I know that had the concept of a, like an interview show where it was all around reality television. People were confused by that, but I just always loved reality TV, and I really thought that that would be something that people would be interested in, and I was right. Will you continue to do this podcast forever? I mean, for the rest of your mortal life? So what I would love to do is to use this as an opportunity to move also into producing shows, uh, and I'm working on a show right now, so um, I would like to continue to do that. Nice. That's fantastic. Good luck with it. How do you feel about the fact that you're now on... Jean Blanc, Damar Jackson level fame. You're a celebrity in your own right at this point. Mm, doesn't feel like that, but um, my kids would tell you no one cares about me, and I would tell you the same. So uh, I feel like I've got I've got a lot of work ahead of me. Like if somebody oh. stops me and they're like, "I love your show," I'm like, "You listen to it." It's why I'm so interested by people on reality shows who believe themselves to be movie stars. I'm like, how like it's just a different wiring in their brain. But they also, some of them get a different experience. Like, you know, we do a podcast as well, as you can tell. And it's <laughs> like, we don't have a gang of agents and managers and stuff yeah. sending us like opportunities every day and telling us what we should do. Colton Underwood ha- has like had a TV camera crew around him for pretty much 80% of every year since he was in The Bachelor, whenever that was five years ago. Yeah. So like he's got this entourage of people around him telling him he's a star, right? really showcasing him as one. So I think that's a whole different experience. Or even somebody like Nick Vial, who has a podcast that has producers and he's constantly doing social media and, you know, all this stuff. Caitlin Bristow. And he has podcasts talking about him all the time for no reason. <laughs> I'm just saying some of these players come off and they do have, I think, like an apparatus around them to promote the idea that they're a star. And it has to be difficult to not 
think that's true. If there's like multiple, multiple people telling you that it is true constantly. Well, I think that you have to still have your your feet firmly planted in planet Earth. And so you would need to check yourself all the time, you know, and if you're not doing that, then there's something wrong. Would you let your children go on a reality TV show? Only if I could do the hometown date episode, because I think it would be worth it for that. (laughs) I do. Oh, right. To make your dream come true. I forgot. (laughs) I would like to be in an episode with Jenny McCarthy and we would together like to be one of the guests that's kind of giving the bachelor contestants like, uh, you know, we're putting them through a series of obstacles or something. The two of us would like we would like to be co-hosts of one of those segments, too. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, I think Lizzie and I would love to host a group date as well. Yeah, never going to happen. (laughs) Oh, bummer. Time will tell. Time will tell. Time will tell. Who knows? Who knows? I agree. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for joining us. Oh my God, I had a blast. Yes. Friends for life. This has been an absolute pleasure as it was to be on your show. And hopefully we can do it again sometime. But everybody should go listen to Reality Life with Kate Casey. And what else? Can, what? Where else should they go? What else should they look at? What do you got? Uh, Twitter at Kate Casey. I tweet about shows and during shows all week long. My Instagram is at Kate Casey CA. You can get my must watch list by going to katecasey.substack.com. However, I post it on all my socials. My TikTok is it's Kate Casey. Patreon with bonus episodes at patreon.com backslash Kate Casey. Basically, you can find me anywhere. But the episodes um, are three times a week. Tuesdays, I tell you what to watch each week. And then Wednesdays and Fridays are longer form interviews, usually one to two segments. Your episode, for example, also has the director and producer of Gaming Wall Street, which is a documentary about the GameStop scandal on HBO Max this week. Dang. It's incredible the volume of content that you're putting out. Yeah, it I just interviewed this morning Rory Kennedy, who's the do- uh, the director of the Boeing documentary on Netflix, which is also really mm. good. Man, that's cool. Nice. Well, we'll have to check out all that stuff out. But thanks again for joining us. And I'm excited for your show you're oh, producing. Oh, I'm excited too. Can't wait to see it. Thank you. Thank you so much to Kate Casey for joining us in the pit for this fascinating discussion and for being Clues' new bestie. I'm so excited to watch this dynamic duo unfold. As am I. Can't thank you enough, Kate Casey, for joining us. And we are on Kate Casey's podcast this week as well, Reality Life. Be sure to go check that out wherever you get your podcasts. And a bit of scheduling to remind you of next week, there will also be no Twibbon. Because we have two episodes of our beloved game. Monday night, we are going to have Fantasy Suites. We will then have our recap out for you Tuesday, the big game breakdown of what is basically the penultimate round of the game. I can't wait to see this. And then Tuesday, they are going to air the Women Tell All, and we will have our breakdown of the Women Tell All out for you on Friday in place of what would have been Twibbon. So next week is going to be all gameplay breakdown. I can't wait to dig into it. And from what we've already learned about what happens at the Women Tell All, there's going to be some spicy stuff. Unless they cut it all out. I mean, (laughs) it's two huge episodes in one week. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be the blandest. I mean, I can't wait to watch both of these episodes. I think that they both deserve their own episode breakdown by Game of Roses. So I completely agree. For the Gains, the Twibbon fans out there, we'll be back. Don't worry.
And Monday, we will have a new Digging Deeper out for you. If you're down to the bottom of the pit with us on Patreon, you're not going to want to miss it. We have some insane clips already lined up. I don't even want to say what they are. They're just going to be a great little surprise for anyone who happens to listen on Monday. So again, join us at patreon.com slash game of roses. And don't forget to mark your calendars. If you're in Los Angeles, April 2nd, Pace Case and I will be at Skylight Books in what is it in silver lake los feliz it's on vermont avenue skylightbooks.com i I think was the website but we'll be there what do you remember what time (laughs) none of this is committed to memory (laughs) i think it's 3 (laughs) p.m i think i don't know i think three sounds right we'll get you further confirmation as this month progresses on the time but that will be our first authorized book signing, hopefully a little less drama-filled and a little more filled with more books. I have all the pertinent information. It is okay, skylightbooks.com. It. it is 1818 North Vermont Avenue, Los Angeles, California, 90027. And we will be there at 3 p.m. on April 2nd. Yes, yeah, so come join us. Bring whatever you want us to sign, your book, sauce, your face. Will we sign faces? Did you say you face? Your face? Bring you face. We will sign you face. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I love being a celebrity. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. We hope you have a great weekend. And before we go, as always, what is that dwab at? It has been... 7,284 days without an Asian bachelor. Praise be our beloved game. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then 